Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Matthew chapter 17 this morning. It's, uh, we're, we're studying the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order, and we're not going to, no way we're going to get through what I prepared for, but that's okay. We'll get through my first point, which is kind of what I anticipated, so that's okay. Uh, stand with me if you would, please, and let's just wor- read Matthew chapter 17, beginning in verse 22. It says, and as they, ga- they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to deliver into the hands of, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. They were greatly distressed. When they came to Capernaum, The collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take tax or toll? From their sons or from others? When he said from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook. And take that first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. The depth that is in this passage, Lord, and it has the capacity to touch each of us this morning if we allow you to. Speak into our lives, Lord. Give me out of the way today, Lord, that that you might be seen and that your word might be heard, and uh, may your spirit come and speak into our lives now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. I'm calling this message Understanding Freedom. Understanding Freedom, if you're thinking, well, what's there to understand about freedom? Well, hey, this message is for you then. Because there's a lot for us to understand when it comes to freedom. Freedom is something that I think many people take for granted today, especially in our country. You know, we're born in the land of the free, and people, many people don't understand how we became the land of the free, how we got to where we are today. Many people, particularly in the younger generations, uh, don't have an appreciation for how freedom came to be and how we continue to stay free. Their, their understanding of freedom is entitlement, which is sort of like the, the son or the daughter of a billionaire who has no concept whatsoever of where money comes from. They just know that they have a lot of it and they can do what they want with it, right? That's entitlement. It's just, I get it because I am. They don't understand the sweat, sweat equity of the father who worked hard to get to that place where he is that he might be able to provide for his family or whatnot. Uh, it's the same idea. Freedom's like that for many, an entitlement. So I just want to set this record straight this morning, as you, many of you already know, that freedom is not an entitlement. It's a trophy. Freedom is not an entitlement. It's a trophy. It's something that we win. It was never legislated. The freedom that we enjoy today wasn't legislated by any government body. It didn't always exist either. It was something that was fought for. Our freedom wasn't given to us. It was won. And we thank the, the, the people 
our forefathers who did fight for that freedom, for those who continue to serve as in the armed forces to protect our borders and also to keep us free. We thank all of you who have served, you know, so much for, for doing that for us. Our freedom is not given, it's won. We live in the, the, the freest land in the world today still, by far the freest of the free. And it's a result of the shed blood of many of many who have fought for our country to be free from the tyranny of evil. And we, jo- we enjoy these freedoms because of the wars that we've won and the wars that we continue to win. So let me just say again, freedom is not an entitlement, it's a trophy. And our spiritual freedom is no different. It was fought and won, it's a trophy of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why, that's what Jesus wants to speak to us about today. And there are three things that he wants to show us today in this passage regarding understanding freedom. First, that it requires understanding sacrifice. To understand freedom, you have to understand sacrifice. Secondly, to understand freedom, it requires understanding adoption. And thirdly, understanding freedom uh, will result in a life of freedom. In a life of freedom. Look at me, look with me at verse 22, where we look at understanding freedom requires understanding sacrifice. Jesus is coming from uh, Caesarea Philippi down now to Capernaum. His eyes are set, his face is set towards Jerusalem. He's preparing to be crucified. And he's going to tell his disciples something that's going to rock them. Something, be, something incredibly radical that they don't comprehend. He's already said it before. Peter stuck, stuck, uh, stepped up in the moment and got rebuked by Jesus. He says, step behind me, Satan. Not a good thing when Jesus calls you Satan. But Jesus is totally focused on his disciples now in this part of his ministry. Notice what it said there. It said, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. The time frame for Jesus to go to the cross is about six months now. He's going to give up his life so that not only those in that generation, not only those who have passed who are looking forward to the Messiah coming, but those in the future that would come to be set free for freedom's sake. His primary focus, as I mentioned, is is his disciples because he's preparing them for the moment when he will depart the earth. When he will no longer walk with them, if you're the disciples and you're walking with Jesus in this moment, then you are anticipating him going nowhere. Your anticipation for him is that he's always going to be with you. And he is always with you. Just don't under, sometimes that's not the way that we, we think it is. This is so important for Jesus in this particular moments of his ministry because He has to do something here. He has to rearrange some things in his disciples' minds because they've been cultured in what to look for when the Messiah came and what to expect. There's an expectation problem. Anybody ever deal with that in their life before? Things don't get said. 
You, you assume things, and the next thing you know, expectations are set, and there's a problem. Jesus wants to take all that stuff out of the way. He wants to say, listen, I want you guys to fully grasp, fully understand what's going to happen so that um, when it does happen, you're not rocked. And he's trying to, trying to help, help them set the expectation so that it, they can move forward successfully through this. They have an incredible misunderstanding regarding uh, uh, freedom and regarding the kind of freedom the Messiah would bring. If you were a little boy growing up in first century A.D., you were a little Jewish boy, and, and like the disciples were during that period of time, then you would have been taught that the Messiah would come one day and he would set Israel free from the bondage of the Gentiles, is what they thought. From the bondage of the Gentiles. See, they were under Roman rule during this time, and so they were just waiting for the Messiah to come to, to, to whisk them up away so that they could be set above all, right? Israel believed that they would be set above everyone. So their, their expectation for Messiah to come was to, uh, the, the type of freedom they were seeking was a physical freedom, not a spiritual freedom. And that's really important. This is, this is one of the things that they have incorrect. The two things that they have incorrect about, the, about these expectations, first and foremost, that the freedom that they needed as a nation was not a physical freedom, but a spiritual freedom. They were still in need of being set free spiritually. They, they misunderstood what Messiah would do when he came. The Jews thought that because they were descendants of Abraham, that they were totally spiritually free already. Boy, were they incorrect. That's not the case. In fact, uh, you know, Jesus speaks to that point about, the, about being a descendant of Abraham and that not really meaning much. And also, Paul does an incredible job of saying, listen, that doesn't have any bearing whatsoever on your spiritual freedom. Your parents might be Christians. Your dad might be a pastor. Your grandpa might have been a pastor. That doesn't make you spiritually free. What makes you spiritually free, as you see here and as you've heard, is Jesus Christ. Personal relationship with Jesus. That has never changed. That's always been the case. It never was the case that, that Messiah would show up and all of Israel would be redeemed. That was never the case. He set an institution, a, a an old covenant in place to be an acting service for those. It's the, blood, it's the shedding of blood that forgiveness might be given. So if you were an Old Testament saint, then you would follow that system. But you were looking to Jesus. You were looking to the Messiah. They, they knew that that was supposed to point to him. Just because you woke up one day and you were circumcised on the eighth day and you, know, you were a good Jew... That still didn't mean that you were redeemed. It still didn't mean that you were spiritually awakened. You see, what they failed to realize is, that, is the spiritual deadness that had been passed on from Adam and Eve to Abraham. Abraham was spiritually dead, and it was by faith that he was spiritually made alive. By faith. Abraham was the father of faith. He's the guy that, was, that woke up one day and God said, hey, just get up and go. I'm not even going to tell you where you're going to go. You just go and do it. And he did. The Lord said, man, I'm going to bless you because you hear my voice and you're obedient to it and you're willing to do whatever I say, no matter if you have understanding about that or not. You're just going. I love that kind of heart, God says. That kind of heart that trusts me. That's what faith is, is trusting God. 
He says, okay, you're the father of faith, but he was spiritually dead before that. He was spiritually dead before that. This, this curse had been passed down from Adam and Eve through, through Abraham to everyone who had ever lived. Adam and Eve in the, in the Garden of Eden, when they broke the word, when God said, don't eat of the tree of the good and evil, and the, the devil, devil deceived them in that moment, saying, oh, God doesn't want you to do that because then you'll know the truth. You'll know, you'll know good and evil. And they did know good and evil, didn't they? They, they, they realized they were naked. All of a sudden, they had a consciousness about things that they never had before. They had a conviction about things they had never had before. But they were spiritually dead the moment they ate that fruit. That abundant life that they enjoyed in the Garden of Eden had been taken away in that moment. They were now physically imprisoned by sin and spiritually dead. The Scripture says that immediately they noticed that they were naked. Their spiritual deadness had been revealed to such degree that they recognized their physical issue. They were naked before God. They recognized, and let me just say that that right there is an incredible message to them. The clothing that you once wore was me. Psalm 104 tells us that God is the light that is a garment to us. And that light had been stripped away in that moment of Garden of Eden when they ate of that fruit and they were no longer clothed with God. They were not only physically naked, but they were spiritually naked. And they recognized that that was a problem. So what did they do? They tried to put on clothes. Just like many spiritually dead people do. They try and step into and replace that and trying to, you know, with laws or whatever it might be, trying to live out a righteous life before God in a physical sense, but you're spiritually dead. You can't make yourself alive. You don't have that kind of power. Only Jesus has that kind of power. Man, Daryl needs to step aside. Adam and Eve were the original walking dead cast members. You know what I'm saying? They were dead. They had no hope. And then they got banished from the garden. And that, that curse passed down to everyone who would ever live. The Jews were incorrect about their theology and their expectation for freedom. They thought they would be set free physically. They didn't realize that they needed to be set free spiritually. Listen, you can never be set free physically for, without being set free spiritually first. Can I say that again? You'll never ever experience victory in things in your life physically until you are spiritually set free. You need the spiritual, uh, you know, redemption of Christ so that you can live that out on the outward. It has to happen inside first. Jesus has to come in and he has to make us alive and he has to give us strength in those areas, and then we can overcome. But it's spiritual first. So many people try and make it physical. I'll just try harder. I'll, I'll do this. I'll add more of this on. I'll, I'll, I'll do these good things. I'll help little, little old ladies across the street, and that will help me to be set free, and that will not help you to be set free. There is one program for being set free, and it's Jesus Christ. It's belief in Jesus Christ. It is nothing else. There is no contribution you and I can make to getting ourselves out of that spiritual imprisonment. 
Only Jesus can do that. He's got the only key. And he will unlock the door and he will allow you to step out by faith. It's faith in him. So they misunderstood, these Jews misunderstood their, the kind of freedom that the Messiah would bring. Secondly, uh, they misunderstood that Messiah would set all people free, not just some. They believed that they were the chosen, which they were, nation, but the promise for a Savior was for everyone, not just one person, not just one, one group of people, not just the Jews, but also for the Gentiles, which includes anybody and everybody else other than Jew, right? Two classes of people, Jews and Gentiles. And you know what? God sent his son for both. But culturally, in Israel, they believed that they were the ones that would be set free and that Gentiles would be never set free, that they were firewood for hell. That was their mentality. That's what they believed. That they were created to be destroyed in hell. I don't know if that offends you, but I'm a Gentile. <laughs> I don't like that. I don't like the idea. It doesn't offend me that they believe that, but I'm grateful that that's not true. That God sent his son for everyone, for any and everyone that wants to believe they can. It's so good to know. The Jews had a terrible misunderstanding regarding freedom as it relates to who would be set free. They thought that they were already spiritually free, number one as a result of their heritage and be descendants of Abraham. They also believed that they would be the only ones set free. And so this is the mentality Jesus is dealing with, with his disciples. They're not clicking. They don't get it yet. It tells us that they're greatly distressed by this word that Jesus speaks in their lives. Jesus needed to change their minds about who he is and what he was there to do. He needed to change their minds about freedom and how freedom comes. And then he, so what he does is he speaks to his, speaks about his atonement, atoning sacrifice. So he speaks to them about how that's going to come. Someone has to pay for the iniquity and transgressions of everyone so that they can be set free. Righteous judgment doesn't go away. When you break a law, it's broken. That doesn't get fixed. Somebody has to pay for that. Jesus didn't just come and, 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 and God said, okay, well, I'm going to act like that never happened. He took the judgment. The Bible says when he hung on the cross, the wrath of God was poured out on him. Jesus was, was, was in the, right before he went to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, let it pass. But I'll do your will. He understood that cup to be the wrath of God for the sins of the world, for your sins and for my sins. God's righteous judgment came down. It wasn't passed away. Jesus paid for it. He sacrificed himself. He took the pain, that, the, the shame, that all the, 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 the wrath of God on our behalf. Somebody has to become a sacrifice for freedom for people to be set free. You guys ever heard, uh, ever read the book, the, the Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens? Anybody ever read that book? It's an incredible illustration of the gospel, actually. And, you know, 
I don't have time to really get into all of it, but, but the book's set in England in the, during the French Revolution time, I think like mid, mid 18th century or something. And, and uh, th there's three main characters to the book. There's Charles Darnay, who is a, a French, you know, guy that, that, that defected to England. There's a guy named uh, Sidney, um, Sidney uh, Colton. And then there's a girl, there's always a girl, named Lucy Manette. So Lucy is the prize, as you guessed. And Charles and Sidney, they, they both like her. They both are in love with her. Charles has his life together. He's a good dude, you know, doing well. The other guy, Sidney, is not doing so well. His, he's a drunk, and he's, everything he tries to do becomes a mess. But yet she's torn because she likes both of these guys. Classic love story, of course. What's interesting is that these guys look identical. They're not related, but they look like twins. So in the looks department, she's, it's a wash. So who does she want to be with? Well, you guessed it. She's going to go with the guy that's got it together, right? Good guys always don't finish last in this case. So he, she, she, she marries him. Well, shortly after that, he goes to prison. He's tried for treason. He, he's, he says that he, he's, he, they, they claim him to be an aristocrat, you know. And, and so he's going to, long story short, he's going um, to be killed by guillotine, right? Guillotine, guillotine. Not that. Not the UFC move, but the, uh, the actual thing, that, the, the, the blade that comes down and cuts people's heads off. He's going to be killed that way, right? And uh, the last moments, you know, of course, his wife, he has a daughter, they're distraught. He gets a visit by Sidney that night before he's going to be killed. Sidney comes in, and he's making some weird, they're having a weird conversation, and he keeps asking about his clothes and this and that and whatever. And the next thing you know, he said he was sitting at his desk or something, and he smelled something weird, and, and uh, next thing you know, he was passed out. Sidney had taken chloroform on a, on a cloth and had put it over his mouth and in, in his, in his nose, and knocked him out. Then he proceeded to take off his clothes. He took off his clothes. Then he put Charles's clothes on. And then he dressed Charles in his clothes. And then by some way or whatever, he had somebody else helping him. They took Charles out. And they put, took him off and fled him out to, the, to be with his family. And Sidney stayed there in the in the prison. Well, the next day comes, judgment has to be served. And Sidney's in, in, in the cell. And you can guess what happens. They, the executioner comes and gets him. They read the thing, you know, the, 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 the sentence of what, what has happened. Charles Darnay, you're being executed by death because of these crimes that you've done. He kneels down, sticks his head in the guillotine, chops his head off. 
the identity of Charles Darnayus no longer existing. The penalty for his crime has been paid. It's been satisfied. The executioner writes that off. Charles Darnay paid in full. Is that not an incredible picture of what Jesus did for us? Is that not an incredible picture of Jesus stepping into time and space into our world and, and taking the wrath that belongs to us? He came just like you. He clothed himself in your nature, in your, not in your nature, but in, in the same clothing you and I, in the flesh. And then he died for you on your behalf. He had to sacrifice. There was a sacrifice required for the, the, the penalty to be satisfied. And when you put your faith in Jesus, there's a stamp that happens in your registration papers in heaven that says paid in full. Those who don't put their faith in Jesus, they still have a bill to pay. And that's what hell is all about. But God doesn't, God, God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. The Bible says God doesn't want anyone to perish. But that all would come to repentance, and that's why he sent his son. So many people want to blame God for not being willing to submit to him. And, and I mean, he, 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 he gave his son. I mean, think about that. He gave his son. Like, that's not no, no small thing. He gave his son. So that you and I could have a relationship and so that we could go to heaven. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5 tells us that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. You know what a transgression is? It's a willful act of disobedience. That's what a transgression is. Jesus died for that. When you willfully act in disobedience to what God's word says. You know what an iniquity is? It's a willful lifestyle of disobedience. Jesus died for that too. Jesus paid for that too. It tells us right here that God laid the tra our transgressions and our iniquity upon him that he paid for those things. Jesus is telling his disciples that if they're ever going to understand freedom, that they have to understand sacrifice first. Freedom isn't free. It costs something. It costs him his life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, he being God, made him to be sin who knew no sin. Listen. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Is that crazy? God made righteous Jesus, sinless Jesus, to be sin on your behalf so that you could become righteous Jesus, so that you could become the image of the righteousness of Jesus before the Father. I think that's a great exchange to take somebody who, who is on one side of the spectrum and, 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 and Jesus being on the other side and to just trade places. Straight across. Hey, no requirement from you. All you got to do is believe. Just sign right here. You're good. Oh, that sounds too good to be true. And that's what people think. 
But that's not the case. That's why Jesus came. God didn't want to make it hard. He doesn't want to make it hard for us, right? He loves us. He loves us. He wants to make it really easy for you. You just got to believe in him. Jesus wants to trade with you. If you're not a believer today, Jesus wants to trade with you. I'll take all the baggage that you could ever, ever accumulate in your life, and I'll give you all my righteousness. All you got to do is believe. That is unconditional love. John chapter 15, verse 13. No greater love is this than one that would lay down his life for his friends. That's why Jesus came, because he loves you, and he wants to express his love for you by laying down his life for you. It's the only way that freedom can come. And yet the disciples didn't understand Mark's account of this moment where Jesus says he's going to die and rise again from the dead. Mark chapter 9, verse 32 says this, but they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. They did not understand. They, they, they heard the word die, and everything stopped in their minds. But wait, there's more. No, but we're still on the dying part. No, but... <laughs> But, but I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again from the dead. No, I know, but you're going to die. I can't get over that part. No, I know, but, but I'm going to rise again from the dead. Uh, yeah, die, but three days later, rise again from the dead. I know, but we're over here. Come over here with us, Jesus. They don't get it. They don't hear the second part of the message. Many in our culture, in our world today, don't hear the second part of the message. And I'm not talking about that he rose again from the dead. I'm talking about the part that, where if you want to come to Christ, you have to deny yourself and you have to take up your cross and follow him. That part. That's the second part. Jesus came for you. He rose again from the dead for you, yes. But your response to that is denying yourself and taking up your cross and following him. It's a laying down of your life. It's a sacrifice before him. The gospel is so watered down in our world today that I don't, people say, yeah, I've heard the gospel. I don't think we can really say that anymore. The full gospel is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not one person that is not in need of forgiveness. But God sent his son, right, to die on a cross, to pay the penalty for your sin, to rise again victoriously for you, declaring eternal life with him in heaven. And you have to believe in that. And belief in that will radically rearrange your life. It will radically rearrange your life. You're not going to be the same person. When I came to Christ, I was not the same person. The Bible says when we come to Christ that we're new creatures. That's why we say, hey, you've been born again. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, hey, you have to be born again. You're not going to be the same person. And yet, you know, we live in a culture and a society today that says, hey, just say this prayer. 
Just say this prayer, and it doesn't really matter if your life changes. Jesus died for you. That's why he died. Not that so that you could do whatever you want. Not so you could do whatever you want. Now, hear me when I say that that doesn't mean, as a Christian, that you're never going to fail again, because you will. But there's forgiveness for that. But see, the issue has to be We have to wonder, has that issue been settled at the cross for me? Am I truly a believer? I think there are millions of people in our world today that believe they have a golden ticket to heaven that they don't. And I'm not the judge. I'm not the guy that's going to tell you whether you are or you aren't. What I'm telling you is is that your life will, will say that. Your life will demonstrate that. You can't be the same person. You will change. Your life will radically change. It will be different. When I came to Christ, man, there were things I did that I didn't even think were wrong. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you. No, you guys don't want to know my junk, man. I'm not going to tell you what that is, but let me tell you. I didn't think there were certain things wrong. I got a couple laughs. That's cool. But, you know, the thing about it is my life changed. And my life continues to change. And God continues to show me things that I need to continue to deal with. But here's the thing is, my heart is to change. I want to change. I love Jesus. I want my life to be like him. It's the heart, you see. It's not, a, it's not about saying a prayer. It's about accepting him and allowing him to rearrange things in your life so that your priorities are right so that you're living for him, so that you're glorifying him, so that that fruit of the Spirit is coming out in you. And when you, you know, you were, you were unlovable, number one, now you can love people because of the love that's been given to you. You can love people, and people can love you because God's in you. It's amazing to see that. Jesus was telling his disciples, I'm going to die, but then I'm going to rise from the dead. So don't worry about that. And we're going to stop right there because, it, my number one, my laptop just died, or my, 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 my notes just died. But number two, because we're out of time. But here's the thing. This is what I want to say today. Is that I, I believe wholeheartedly that we're on the brink of something incredible happening as a nation, as the church. I think that there's something in my spirit, and not just my spirit. I talk to many of you guys. You feel the same thing. I talk to many, many people all over the country. They're saying the same thing. We're on the brink of something happening. The Lord is moving. And the Lord is separating those who are His and those who aren't. Because He wants those who are not to know that they still need Jesus. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 24, I don't have time to get into it, but go read it. He told us what to look for. Lawlessness will increase, he said. Lawlessness is increasing incredibly. And we're seeing that in our country, and it's ramping up quick, guys. We have this this fight against authority in our world today. Police officers against citizens 
racial issues, all these different things going on. And you know what? That's, all of those things are symptoms to a problem that's happening. Jesus said these would be signs that you could look for for my return. And I tell you, if you have family members and friends and people that God has put in your heart and you are hesitating to share the gospel, share the gospel. Share the gospel. There there needs to be an urgency in your heart to share the truth with those people that, 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 that God is putting on your heart, man. Anybody and everybody, because he's coming back. And I love what love the response of one person that I was talking to recently. Yeah, but you know we kind of always say that, and you know I mean the, the you know there's always been different darknesses that have happened in various different times and whatever. Okay, I get that. But do you, do you believe the word? You believe the word of God? Yeah. Okay. What does the word word of God say about Jesus? Well, particularly about his return. Well, stuff's going to get bad, and he's going to come back. Okay, stuff's getting bad and he's going to come back. And that could happen at any moment. The question is, are you ready for that? Are your family members ready for that? Share the gospel. And if you're here today and you're not sure about your salvation, you're not sure where you're going, you've never taken that step of of, salvation receiving Jesus Christ into your life, believing that, yeah, he died, he rose again from the dead for you personally. And by faith, you're just going to trust in what he's done for you and rest in that, and he's going to transform your life, I promise. You've never done that before. You need to do that today. Listen, there were nine people that showed up to a church last week that didn't know they weren't going home that night. There were people that jump on these roads every day that don't make it home at night. You don't know when you're going to go. You can't say, I have more time. Only God knows that. And there is, there is no time to play around, man. It's not play church day. It's not play church time. It's time to really get serious about the Lord, man. Not only about your own personal relationship with him, but about those around you. And really sharing the gospel with them. I have some family members in Montana that I had the opportunity to go and, and witness to and to speak to. And, and man, you know, your responsibility is to share the gospel. And then you pray for those guys. That's what I'm doing. But I'm telling you, time is short. Jesus promised us, man. Just as much as he promises that he would come and he would die and he would rise again from the dead, he promises he's going to come back one day too. And those who are not in his camp will be separated from him eternally. That's the sentence that, remember what I said earlier? Judgment has to be served. If, if God didn't serve judgment, then he wouldn't be God. He wouldn't be right. He wouldn't be holy. He wouldn't be righteous. He wouldn't be who he is. And so he'll be faithful to do that. I just want to encourage you guys, man, today to, to take Take, take a spiritual inventory of your life. When you came to Christ, was there a change in your life? I was talking to a guy yesterday. I'll close with this, I promise. But I was um, at this father-daughter thing. My daughter, they took her in, and they were making her all beautiful and doing her hair and all this stuff, and it was so awesome. 
I was waiting for her, and, and I looked down at my shoes, and I'm like, dang, these things are all jacked up. So there's a guy there, and they brought him in to shine the shoes for the dads or whatever. So I go over there, and I'm sitting down with him. And uh, he starts shining my shoes or whatever, and I'm, I said, hey, man, so you know Jesus? That's the way to start a conversation. It's, it's one way. It's one way to do it. And uh, he said, well, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I know Jesus. He sat there, and, and you know, as he's, he's shining my shoes, it was becoming more and more evident to me that he doesn't know Jesus. Or at least, at least he's not acting like he does know Jesus. And so I said to him, hey, hold on a second. You know, the beginning of the conversation, you said, hey, I know Jesus. Are you sure? Are you sure? How do you know? How do you know you know Jesus? Oh, man, because when I would go to the clubs on Saturday night, I'd get my butt up and go to church on Sunday. That's how you know? Wait a second. But the Bible says that you can't do anything to get saved. Jesus came to save you. And it sounds like to me that you're saying by getting, up, getting your butt up and go to church that you're saved that way. That's not the case. It's not the case. And, and by the way, if you've had an encounter with the one and true living God, your life's going to change. Has it changed? Has your life changed? And that's how I left it with the guy. And that's how I leave it with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning and just for your grace and goodness, Lord. We love you. We honor you. We praise you. We thank you for the gospel, Lord. We thank you for your son and just for allowing us to experience forgiveness through him. And Father, for the changed life that has occurred in many of our hearts. Lord, I pray for the hearts of your people in this place today that are, we would be broken for the lost, Lord. That we would be, have a hunger and a thirst to, to share the gospel like never before. Lord, we know you're up to something. Your word tells us that eventually you're coming back, and so we need to be ready for that. So help us today, God, every place our feet might take us, to be ready in and of ourselves, number one, but to tell other people to get ready too. I pray that you would give us boldness upon this church, upon your saints in this place today that, have, that has never happened before. Lord, we're asking for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit on us. We know that you're a good father who loves to give good gifts to your children and those whom come and ask that you would flood our hearts with a, with a boldness. If that's you this morning and you are asking God to come and flood your heart with boldness, would you raise your hand this morning and ask, Lord, I need some boldness in my life to share the gospel with some people that you've been putting on my heart that I've been fearful of saying because I'm afraid of that relationship. Is there anyone here this morning that needs some boldness in their life to share the gospel? Is there anyone else? We, God sees you. God sees your hand and he's going to honor that. Is there anyone else here that wants some boldness in their life? share the gospel, to help declare to their family members, friends, whoever it is, their neighbors, Lord. You see these people, and they're asking you today, God, flood their heart with your spirit, with your power, with the words from you and you alone that will transform lives. 
What's incredibly awesome is that your word tells us it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. Lord, help us to be kind in our sharing of the gospel. Help us to represent you well in that. Embolden these who have raised their hands today, Lord. For those who are sitting in this place today that are on the fence, they're not sure they're saved. Maybe they've said the sinner's prayer. Maybe they've been going to church. But they have a conviction in their heart even right now, Lord. You know. You're the one putting it there. Am I really... Do I really belong to you? Has my life really changed? It's not so much about where I'm at in my walk with you, but it's really about that moment. Did, did that exchange happen for me? Did Jesus trade my, my place? Did I really place my faith in him or, or did I not? Your word says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. It's, it's just a simple matter of faith and your word also tells us that you give us that faith. And so for those this morning that you're giving faith to believe, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if that's you today. And you long for a relationship with God. You want to be set free from the bondages that you've been dealing with. And I pray, Father, that you would just convict the heart even now. Is there anyone here this morning that needs a relationship with God? can only happen through Jesus Christ. He is the only way. And although it doesn't have to happen in this moment, you're not guaranteed the next moment of your life. And so if you're in need of Jesus, I'm just asking you, raise your hand. God is asking you because he longs to be in relationship with you. Is there anyone else? There's one, anyone else? God sees you. Is there anyone else that needs Jesus Christ today that you're not sure about your relationship with God. Maybe you said some words, but today you're saying, man, Lord, I don't know. There's never been a change. Is there anyone else? Those who raise their hand, just just repeat this after me in your heart. Father, I come right now in all sincerity. Lord, you know my heart. I want to trust Jesus today with my life, with my eternal life. I'm giving my life over to you right now. Not holding anything back, God. You know all things. I'm turning away from my lifestyle and I'm turning to you today, God, and saying, change me. I believe in Jesus. I believe in his sacrifice on the cross. I believe in his resurrection from the dead. And I believe it was all for me. And I receive him now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, Jesus just came into your life. Listen, that's not a small thing. We ought to rejoice over that, amen? Let's rejoice over that. Let's give the Lord some praise. <laughs> praise the Lord. Amen, amen. Well, hey, if you, if you did that, would you come up forward after the service and I want to give you something and uh, just help you along the way in your relationship with the Lord. But let's stand and, and end with a song here. 
Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.